Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George. I'm here with my co-hosts, Nomi and John. And we have as our special guest, Dr. Kurt Johnson. And today we're going to explore exactly what we mean by the term free will. Then from within that context, we can discuss whether or not we have one or not. Okay, gentlemen. Um, so basically, the, um, the conventional shared meaning of free will is that um, what we do is up to us, that regardless of our genes, regardless of our education, of where we grew up, how we were raised and all, we can decide at any moment for ourselves apart from that. So that, that's the general, so which, which essentially makes us like, like Shakespeare said, you know, Hamlet's uh, were, were players, you know, um, in a play or you know, like robots or automatons, that everything we're basically conditioned to do and say whatever we um, we do. So, what what is John, um, Kurt? What's what's your impression of that? Well, actually, I'm going to go back to some of the side conversations that we've had because one of the things we discovered is that if we didn't explore what we meant by some of these terms, we weren't really having a meaningful discussion. And I think at least three of us, and probably all of us, agree that. There's, there's not the type of free will that's, that's isolated from any type of preconditioning. That's just not, not the case. So there's conditioned free will. There's relative free will. There, there are systems of causality where one thing is setting up conditions that then, uh, you know, allows for an array of possibilities after that. But I think where it gets tricky, and I, I want to even go back to the biological organism here, is that. For instance, you know, you know, everything in the body is, is going to, again, be determined by the cause and effect around the mean of the bell curves and developmental pathways. But in genetics, there's the chance for mutation. And the chance for mutation, which is something that is completely out of the box and then can happen, and then can actually predict other things happening like a cancerous tumor, where a cancerous tumor is actually a large body of cells that set up a new set of rules outside the constraints that were set up before them. So I think what I'm saying, and I'm hearing reflecting in all of this, is that we're in a dialectic here between both of these things being true. Okay. Um, me what, what's your take on it? Yeah. The conventional idea of free will is that if, if one has, uh, one can choose A, one could have also done B. And the, the causal equations that are at the, at the back of choosing A uh, would not matter. So, but I think we all agree that uh, will is caused by processes, by factors, by laws of the universe, what, what has gone before uh, in time. But sometimes I think the discussion goes beyond time. It, it, it goes uh, meta uh, discourse sometimes. And I think we start meaning different things by the same term. And so I think we all agree that will is causal, right? I, I think so. Uh, John, what's your take? Anybody else? <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of still confused about it, so I mm. hope uh, this conversation will enlighten me. Sure. Um, I believe in constrained will. Um, I think I've used this analogy before. I am free to create novel sentences, and you are free to understand them or reject them or not, but we have that understanding. But I don't know the laws of grammar mm. while I'm speaking. I'm not thinking about that at all. Mm -hmm. So that's largely unconscious. So there's a vast background knowledge that uh, 
that's available to us. And I can study the laws of grammar, um, but it's also like when you play a piece of music, um, you're not thinking about every note. You already know what those relationships are. Um, right. That's a different level, I think, that's operating. So, let's, let's so we're not this. totally free. Or to I think all freedom has constraints built into <clears> it. Right. Now let, let's explore this within um, a, a specific example. Kurt, like um, using your definition of free will, um, present, let's say, a thought or a choice that you might make that you c would consider partially free, conventionally free, you know, and then we can explore it in terms of like what you mean by that mm -hmm. and whether mm -hmm. it, it actually pans out. Yeah, I'm, I'll do that, and, but I also just want to, I want to suggest one thing as a background here is that, and we had this discussion earlier, that in looking at these types of problems or paradoxes, there are monological ways to look at it which set down fixed parameters and then have a discourse you know, from classical philosophy or whatever it would be. And then there are dialogical parameters which would be saying this is a dynamic system and let's, let's learn about how to talk about a dynamic system. And a lot of science right now is in an interplay between monological inquiry and analysis and dialogical inquiry and analysis. So, so I just want to say that there's, we're not acting in isolation here. Science is also just, you know, dealing with these different ways of approaching problems. So anyway, like for instance, when we were at lunch, I said a good example of that would be whether I decide to watch the uh, Jet Steelers game on Sunday. And I think you pointed out very well that even though it's true that I would say that I have the choice to watch it or not, I could probably imagine all kinds of pathways of conditioning that would have contributed to what decision I, I actually make. But it would be interesting to play a game with myself and say at the last minute, <laughs> because of this discussion today, I would decide to do the opposite of what my intention actually was. And so that just further brings more subtlety into this play of what actually caused what and what are the pathways that determined that volitional act. And I love the, you know, Nomi defined volition earlier from Spinoza, right? Yeah. And it was, again, that it, it, it's it, in relation to a pathway that results in something that you've decided actually becoming an action. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of subtleties involved. All right, but, um, but are you describing that um, decision to watch the Steelers game or not as partly free? Is, is that? I'd go with John's definition. It, it, it's constrained free will. In other words, I can make a certain decision, but there's no doubt that it's been influenced <coughs> by multiple pathways of input. And I'm also curious about the metaphor that you came up with. Um, uh, you talked about Shakespeare, and we're all players. Or are we zombies? Um, I think that's a metaphor, and um, I am repelled by the idea that we are zombies. And I don't think a, a zombie is a very adequate metaphor. Being a player, though, even in a play by Shakespeare, where all the lines have been composed already, there's an openness to every performance. And we go see Hamlet over and over and over again with different performers because there's a pattern, a template there that I do think is uh, predetermined. But how you direct it, how you perform in it, that unique happening that night, um, those are uh, lots of different variables. And a zombie does not, or automaton, does not capture that. I would go with the player okay. if I John, were. John, before, <coughs> um, there's different ways of describing, like, the nature of our will as being, like, you know, 
predetermined in the sense that we're, you know, like we could be robots, automatons, players, I prefer zombies. When you when you use the word zombie, what what is your exact definition of it? Well, when I hear someone like the like uh, Daniel Dennett, um, who's a neurocomputational guy, uh, or Patricia Churchland, who says, uh, we're all zombies. There's nothing there except neurons firing. And I, agree I think that's bullshit. I, well, I agree with you because, like, basically, we want when when you use a term like that, dispa that disparages. It's pejorative, like that. Certainly, we're not going to feel good about it. But like, more importantly, it reduces the complexity of the yeah, human being yeah. to it's the the brain that causes consciousness. And I reject that idea. I think consciousness is okay. Let's and let's, it can't be reduced to any. I do think there's a relationship and a very important relationship between brain, mind, consciousness, self. Let's go back to uh, the exploration. So you're saying that it's kind of, it's not completely free, it's partially free. Right. Okay, so then what would you, what part of that decision would you um, consider free? Well, I want to bring in an interesting parallel here, and I'll jump to that, and that's David Hawkins' book, uh, Subjectivity and Reality. And this is where he takes paradigms, and he talks about all the people who were working within that paradigm, being an artistic paradigm, a paradigm in physics, and then he points to the one or two people who broke out of that paradigm and became the evolvers of the next paradigm shift, and he's then asking this same question. In other words, what was the degree of freedom in those thinkers that he shows in each of these paradigms that allowed them to have fully experienced all the constraints of that paradigm, but yet be compelled in some way to think freely in some new way that allowed them to step outside that box and 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 do something new. I don't think I think that's the same type of freedom in a cultural and historic sense that I'm talking about when I say at the last minute, well I decide to watch the Jet Steelers game or not. I mean there's there's a tweak at some point. Now that's also true in the body. When a mutation happens in the body, which could then even result in a tumor, which is Having living in its own free way because it's not obeying what the RNA is telling it to do. I mean, a tumor ends up killing you because the RNA signals that are saying, oh, obey the rules of the developmental pathway, obey the rules of, of what you're supposed to be doing in this part of the tissue, they don't pay attention. So, you know, you know it's really the same kind of thing. What is that tweak? All right, well, it's, it's, Kurt, let me, let me pull you back, though. Okay, um, uh, the question I asked is, like, you, you said that the, the decision to watch the Steelers game or not was partially free. Then I asked you, what part of that decision was free? I think whether or not just to turn the TV set on at the last moment, whether I, where I actually it becomes volitional. Do I turn the set on or not? Okay. Well, let, let, let John, before we, um, let's just explore this. Let's explore this this line of reasoning. You know, whether um, to 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 see what what Kurt is is saying when he when he means free. Okay. Like you. So you say um, the actual decision was free. Now then, when you ask yourself why you made the decision, um, what what would you be your answer then? Well, no, I, I would agree with you that if, if I went into an analysis of that final tweak, there would be other sets of conditions. So we're never going to be free of micro conditions. But I think we're also not going to we're we're not going to lose our our creativity either. We're going to be in a this dialectic. Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, you talk about the tweak and the analysis of the tweak, and earlier I was talking about uh, synchronistic events like the bird pooping on my head, and that interior question and that uh, exterior experience, um, which I'm calling synchronistic. I think synchronicities are happening all the time. 
there's some of these anomalies that pop up and s strike us as unusual. But is there a relationship, do you think, between the tweak and those kinds of synchronicities? I, I would say absolutely yes, yeah. Because I, I don't think we can, in the subtle realms of what we're experiencing, there's so many things at play. I think there's a thing in, in Ken Wilber where he says, even arbitrarily, if you do a diagram of the dialogical relationships of I, we, it, and its, there are 72 possibilities for any act that you would possibly do. And even in the sense of what you're aware of, you're probably picking from a menu of maybe 10 or 12 of those 72 at most. And, and yet they're all there as, as possibilities. Yeah. yeah. And another question, since you're a biologist, you're a good person to ask, about the tweak and the synchronicity and uh, the birth of species. Mm. Now, you need a male and a female, right, to get a species started? Well, actually, species come from gene pools. So that, that means that there's, no, there's nothing that doesn't evolve from a population. So everything is the shift of populations to new statistical means of what they look like, what their needs are, where they live, and what characterizes them. If you really think through time, you could ask, what's a species? If everything's been evolving vertically through time, where's been the break between any species? It doesn't exist. So even the idea of species in the present time horizontally, different kinds of, of birds, we recognize those now in horizontal now time, but every one of those has a lineage, and they actually end up converging on each other back in time okay, so that so they were never set. General, I want to pull it back. Um, John, you introduced the idea of synchronicity as, as uh, applying to this question of whether our, our wills can be free in some sense. Naomi, could you address that, how synchronicity um, might or might not play a role in, in um, determining whether a decision might be free of, of the compelling influences or not? I would say that synchronicity <coughs> could come from some quantum dynamic. Uh, but I would say that even then, if it is coming from a quantum dynamic, it is still determined by the quantum dynamic. And we can't say that, you know, we are causing it in some way. I mean, for me, the, the quantum determinism is itself a determinism uh, of which we are not actually responsible. Yeah, let me just mention, this is, your example is really great because the synchronicity that actually happens in nature is between what the gene pool does and what natural selection selects. So the gene pool is actually experimenting with a lot of ways that an organism can be. It can be taller, it can be shorter, it can eat this, it can eat that. But then the synchronicity is what does the environment choose in the sense of survival for what actually takes that direction. So it's amazing that evolution itself is this synchronicity between what the genome's doing and then what nature is allowing to survive. So it's a relationship, a dance between Absolutely. Them. It's not a top-down management, management decision about uh, how it's going right. to go. And actually, even in biology, the studies of biology are really broken down into macroevolution and microevolution. Microevolution studies the givens that the genome presents as opportunities, and macroevolution is about what the environment then does to select which of those actually become a direction. So I think that's interesting as a background here. Okay, so then the question then becomes, um, how exactly would synchronicity um, lend an opening to free will? You know, because by, by my reasoning, my reasoning is that um, there is the kind of a um, um, sequential causal reality that, that's very proximate, that, you know, 
uh, my hand holds this paper. It's very proximate, mm -hmm. okay? But then there's a, um, an underlying um, universal um, causality that means that, for example, the state of the, mo of the universe at the moment of the Big Bang was completely responsible for the state of the universe at the next moment. And then that state of the universe was completely responsible for the next moment. So in, in terms of relating this to synchronicity, you might have two things that seem what that seem kind of like that are connected and that 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 would seem to explain it that they're they're basically being guided by the same universal causality but but is it one moment responsible for the next or one moment influences the influence next? well the next. Uh, that's a very subtle difference i think think about it think let's cons consider the the entirety of the universe and and you know when we consider this there gets to be a point where Log it transcends logic. In other words, like how could the universe be finite? How could it be infinite? You know, mm -hmm. you know. But to to our knowledge of the the entire state of the universe, if it's going from one state to the next, you know, moment by moment, one individual moment, then wouldn't wouldn't the the pre the prior moment have to completely determine? You know, if it's the entire universe. The subsequent I, I think actually we're, you get in the danger of a, of a linguistic trap, which is what I, I think John's pointing to. And let's go back again to mutation. If down a developmental pathway, and this would be almost like your Big Bang, you know that there's this possibility for a mutation, which is some new genetic combination which has never occurred before and therefore determines another set of pathways. If you then ask the question, was that tweak, that sudden change, determined completely by what came before, I think that's a discussion that's f full of traps. And a good example in physics is when they say there was an equal amount of antimatter and matter at the beginning, and now we're mostly matter and there's not that much antimatter, then this question is, what happened to tilt that, one of the big questions in physics, what tilted that balance? So in other words, if everything, again, was predetermined down a pathway, it would predict, actually, that there would be as much matter as antimatter, and that's not the case. So I think that, you know, it, it, there's, the, there's a question along the factual lines here, and then there's the question along the dialogical and linguistic traps we fall into in talking about. But mutation is in the cards. There are laws which will allow for mutation, isn't it? Because they're combinations. They're mathematical combinations. They're like a card game. Or like writing music, that you could. There's an infinite number of songs you can write from notes on that staff. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the way the genome works. But new combinations. Well, this would be your question: Are they new? Right. And uh, Are exactly. Because then we would have to ask: Well, how do they arise? There must be a reason mm -hmm. for their arising. And and once we ask that question, once we ask how they arise, then that um, that describes causality. You know, they, they arrived for some reason. We may not know. It may be completely inexplicable to us. But there must be some reason for the mutation, for whatever change. Yeah, in other words, I think you could say that if you could really examine the subtle realms, you could come up with some type of developmental pathway that would predetermine why that certain new mathematical combination happened. So that, again, I'm kind of kind of warning us not, not to build traps, you know, build things that might not be there. I mean, why is, I ask, why is that a problem? Why is that a problem? Well, what I'm, what I'm, my, um, my point is that um, if the unexplained uh, phenomenon that mm -hmm. doesn't fit within our context right. has a reason mm -hmm. and is causal, 
then certainly that would preclude free will just as, as, um, as completely as our conventional understanding we, that we fully understand. Well, it, it would preclude a kind of free will that you're defining in a very absolute way. If we went down to your definition of free will, it's not a problem because you said it in the beginning. You said it's what? Constrained. Constrained free will. Okay, John. So let, let's... <clears throat> I call it constrained will. Constrained will. Right. Oh. We, we have desires. We have ambitions. We have wants. But it, we have strategies for getting those. Um, that, I think, is a conventional view of what free will is about. And it's our daily experience that we don't always get what we want. So it's... Uh, okay, we then say, say, well, maybe you say, it's all predetermined. You say we have a constrained it. will. Okay, so like then, by my understanding, if it's constrained, is it fully constrained or is it partly up to us and then partly constrained? Well, that's where the tweak is. That's where the so, tweak all right, is. So, that's so the big question mark. It's all right, a very so let's put it to the, the unanswered test. question. Let's put it to the test. Come up with a choice and present to us the unconstrained aspect of that choice that, that was freely made. Well, I can talk about daily life and. Um, I think I've used this before. If I want to go across, uh, if I live in Manhattan and I want to get, get safely across town, there are traffic lights and there are signs that say walk, don't walk, stop, mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. um, I, because I'm constrained by those signs and, and agreements have been made by others that we're going to follow these signs, right, no, I can travel safely. Okay? No, no, but we're talking about, you're talking about But I'm about just like saying there's constraints. constraints. In order to travel safely, there are constraints. No, I understand the constraint that I, part. Uh, that I uh, obey. No, I know, John. I, I, I understand the constraint part. Okay. Mm -hmm. What what I, what I don't understand is you say that there is a free will that is free of those constraints. So then, so the question to to you would well, be: Well, there are traffic jams and there are, are breakdowns in communication, and people do get hit by cars because they may have gone out and had too much to drink, and you know that I understand happens very often. Um, so I'm just saying it, that's the tweak. Yeah, and I'm wondering why we're searching to pin a label on a dynamic phenomenon and then asking, is it true or not true? That's, that's kind of the problem I have with this discussion. In other words, if, if we're kind of playing pin the tail on the donkey here and the tail is free will, is there or is there not free will, I'm not sure that that's actually a, a, a valid discussion in a dynamic matrix. I'm, stuff is happening. Yes, it's conditioned. Yes, there's there, also there are interpretations. Right. Some of those interpretations are not accurate. There are new points of creativity within, just right. like the mutation, just like the artist, just like Einstein. I'm not sure what you're saying. Are you saying that um, we can both have a free will and not at the same time? I think we may be asking the wrong question. Yeah, yeah. That that depending on where we're pinning our labels, we're 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 building artifacts here and arguing about whether they're true or not. Okay. Um, we make a decision, we make a choice, regardless of what, what it is, okay? Um, that choice can either be completely determined by previous events, circumstances, conditions, of which we're not, you know, in control of at all, or not. Or not. So, to, to the logical mind. Right. Well, I'm, all right. If... If we take it beyond the realm of logic, mm -hmm. then what would be the reasoning? And I'm, I'm asking you a question, actually, that, that's kind of like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the reasoning would actually, let's say, be it would be a different skill set because it might be just joy. Let's say Mark Rothko's painting a painting, and he's at that moment where is, is the stripe going to be orange or is it going to be red, right? 
And is there a need to put logic or some understanding of why he picks orange over red, whereas we could say whatever's going on there um, is a moment that doesn't have anything to do with logic, and it's a moment in what we're just what we're experiencing is just like joy or just being or like you say just consciousness, and that and and we're not bringing the skill set of logic in that it doesn't really apply there or that we decide not to but apply. But if you it. if you look at the painting and study it. And, and the history of painting, you may find a logic there. You, yes, your pattern. That the painter could, yes. may not have been aware of at all. Absolutely. So, so again, I do believe there are significant patterns yeah, and meta patterns yeah, yeah. that repeat right. or reiterate. Yeah. But now this is very interesting. You bring this up. Uh, this is so crucial because the whole fundamental thing about scientific inquiry is relating process and pattern. I'm so glad you brought that up. And what modern science differentiates is pattern and process are not the same thing. Pattern is a pattern. Process is something you have, right. is a narrative you've created right. that you infer from a pattern. And so that might have a, mm -hmm. an implication on this discussion of free will, because you're talking about patterns. Did this happen All or right. did this Let's And then whether or not there's free will is a decision about process. And, and whose free will? That's where I think the self comes in. And I believe that the self is a semiotic process. It's about signs and the interpretations of signs and symbols. And each of us is a symbol. And that's where my work is. In. And y you are a symbol. And you have symbols that you uh, identify with and resonate with. And those metaphors, symbols, uh, narratives, I believe are crucial. All right, because again, if we don't pay attention to we've, that. We've got about a minute and a half left. Um, it comes down to putting it to the test, mm -hmm. to put in to to present, you know, some decision that you could say was free of the of the constraints of causality, constraints of, of genetics, constraints of, of even the unconscious, which is like, you know, active all the time. It, it never sleeps. So again, um we can say that there might be a way of understanding um that theoretically brings um, you know the possibility of free will but can we bring just one example and then, then describe exactly how that choice can be free of those compulsions yeah. well the, the, I say this is interesting because you're asking can anything act outside a system and this brings up your question about consciousness I mean this is the big question probably the only thing that's possible to be free of the system is when people talk about awakened consciousness and what it's like to actually experience the totality in that type of of experience. So this is this is rich indeed. Okay, um, yeah, we have to end now. But actually, as last point, then um, we would have to explore then how that evolution to a, a, an elevated consciousness um, could take place. Because seemingly there would have to be reasons for that also. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> thank, thank you, you Nomi, much. John, Kurt. That, that's all we have time for today. Excellent. Thanks. We'll be Very back well done, George. Very Appreciate well. it. Thank you. Thank you.